Okay, we're recording. Um, thank you. This this uh, class is called. No, that's not the one I want. Uh, no, I guess I just do it here. Oh, technology. Uh, <laughs> so this class is called Gifted. Um, I struggled with what to name it because uh, I found a number of years ago and have tried this out now with probably 200 Lipscomb kids and uh, incessantly with my friends, ex-friends, and a uh, <laughs> bunch of other things. Uh, just about this idea that um, spiritual gifts um, <clears throat> is sort of this thing we don't really talk about in the church very much. It's kind of this sort of a yawn issue. We all know it's there, but there's 30 different definitions. If you look across the spectrum, we talked about this last time, there's like 30 different definitions of spiritual gifts. And there's, if you go online, there's like the 27 spiritual gifts, the six spiritual gifts. The, and, and when you ask what, what those are, there's all kinds of, of thoughts and ideas about what those li lists might be. Uh, no two are the same, and so you just kind of wonder. <coughs> um, come on in. You're just in time. Um, and so uh, we talk about this spectrum where over on, over on this side, the, the list of spiritual gifts tends to be that list in 1 Corinthians 12, tongues, prophecy, blah, 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 blah. And on this side, the list of gifts tends to be those things in 1 Corinthians 12, tongues, prophecy. But here, the, the outcome is totally different. Here, you need to be talking in tongues when you come out of the water or we're dunking you again. You know, that's kind of the, the, the Pentecostal, everybody should speak in tongues, so it's part of it. Uh, you go to an Assemblies of God church, which is kind of a tick this way, and somewhere right in the middle of church, all of a sudden everyone will start speaking in tongues and praising God in tongues, and you go, okay. Uh, do you want to open that door just for now so people know they can come in and not embarrass themselves? Thank you. Yeah, we're good. Um, <clears throat> and then there's everything in there's everything in between. So if you if you went online and said how many spiritual gifts are there. You get the 24th, you know, and you get all this stuff. Um, so we kind of walked through that, and I and had a couple questions um, about, well, is this about tongues, or is this, what, what, what is this class really about? Um, and is this about, you know, us being powerful Christians and doing all this thing? And I thought I, I would share something that I hope will, will uh, bring some balance in this and help us to uh, put all, all of this in perspective. And so um, Paul says this, he says, look, I, I remind you, Timothy, to kindle, rekindle, or stir up the spiritual gift that is in you. Um, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So Timothy was, Tim, Tim and Timothy, we always remember him. Okay, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And then he says this interesting thing. He says, God has given us a spirit of power, love and a sound mind like like if you want to know how does the holy spirit operate what is important to the holy spirit you have these three things and each of us has beliefs about christianity and maybe about the holy spirit and we look 
through the lens of our camera. So our camera uh, sits on this sits on this tripod of power, love, and a sound mind. And so we might say, um, yeah, that, that's, and my lens is the only lens I've got. That's all, that's all I can see. I don't see this. It's everything I know to be true, and everything I know to be true about Christianity is balanced with power, love, and a sound mind. So, for example, if I have a leg that's a little shorter, then my lens of belief, the, the lens that I look through, is going to be a little off kilter. But I don't know it's off kilter because it's all I know, right? And so if I encounter somebody, so, so let's, say, let's say I come from a, a church that has a short, shorter power leg. Power, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is not as important to me. And I encounter to somebody who might have a shorter sound mind, a, a shorter exegetical sense, hermeneutical sense, but their power leg is really long, then we're gonna, we're gonna be like this. I'm gonna look through this, and I'm gonna walk around like this, and I'm gonna encounter somebody's like this, and I'm gonna go, <laughs> are they even Christians? And, and that's, that's that spectrum that we face across the church, because if you get uh, way over to the, um, well, I tell you what, so just for fun, Let's take that tripod and apply it to these beliefs, okay? So power, love, and a sound mind. So if you think about where does power show up, it, it shows up there. And sometimes we might consider those people a bit lawless, a bit crazy, little uncontrolled, dancing, shaking, quaking, you know those Quakers and their oats. But anyway, so, so we, we, we think of them that way. Now, they might look across the spectrum and look over here at us or at conservative cessations, conservative denominational, and they might think they're so legalistic. They're so just blah, blah, blah. And so <coughs> when we think about the spectrum, here power has been, power Christianity has been a focus, and if you question, and I have questioned them on this and laid out this tripod, they'd go, yeah, but powerless Christianity. You know, it's, it's, just, it's like you, 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 you don't excuse it and you don't defend it, but you recognize that without it, your Christianity would be powerless in their sense. And over here, if you question sort of the... Uh, I should turn off the recorder now, but, but your question is, is, is the ability to exegete scripture what Jesus taught? Did scripture and the closed canon replace the Holy Spirit or not? Now, none of us in this room would say yes, because we know that's not true. Yet, do we live that way? Do, do we live out of sort of a, a focus on scripture, sola scripturis, right? Um, and, and we might look here and say, well, they, they're just not all that scriptural. It doesn't seem important to them. Somewhere in the middle, and thank you, John Ford Coley, um, somewhere in the middle, love is the answer. You know, it's, it's like power, love, and a sound mind because 
these folks have a lot to share, a lot to demonstrate, a lot to show. These folks have a lot to share, a lot to demonstrate, a lot to show. And there's this vast sort of caravans that are heading toward the middle here somewhere. The, the, the large evangelical churches are attracting lots more people because they can go to them and get enough of what they're comfortable with, but try the other stuff too. And that's why you start, one of the reasons you start getting mega churches that, and they have really great gymnasiums. But, you know, so, so that sort of is going on. So, so that's sort of a, a review of, of last week. So last week we talked about that spectrum and we talked about, and then we said, okay, we're gonna clear the table um, and we're going to start with a blank slate and we're going to look at what Paul said because he was really talking to people who were Pentecostal, I would say, at that end of the spectrum. And he said, you guys, you're missing, you're, you're asking me questions about tongues, First Corinthians 12, you're asking me questions about tongues and prophecy and disorder in your services, and you want me to answer that question. But you are asking the exact wrong question. And I'm gonna answer for you the question you should have asked. And when we catch that's what he's doing, we find ourselves walking through this narrow door that seems like it's about gifts, and it opens up into an amazing world. Probably, it opens us up into an amazing experience of Christianity. Amazing, connected, full, full-bodied, balanced experience of Christianity. And Paul uses their question to open that door. And that's the whole purpose of this class, is to look at that door. So, um, so, let's, so if you have a Bible with you, or a Bible app, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Um, if you, have, if you know and understand how to use Bible Hub, um, then we can look up Greek words and you can check me out on things, whatever. Um, but feel free and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. <coughs> and let's look at, and we're going to look at it just in the New American Standard first, God's Bible. Um, back in the early 70s when I was saved, you got your NASB handed to you when you got saved. Everybody got the, the same version to the same. I still, I still got two of them. I still got my original Bible. Boy, it is scribbled and torn, but it's good memories. Okay, so here's Paul. He's saying, look, now concerning spirit, and this is NASB now, okay, no words. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But each one is given the, mani but each one is given in the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Then it lists the manifestations. And then in verse 7 it says, but one and the same spirit works these things, distributing these manifestations to each one individually, just as the Holy Spirit wills, okay? So when you look at that, okay, now the, now the room is open. When you look at, at that scripture, what are some things you notice about it? What, what might jump out at you or? Complimentary, okay, so what, what's meant to be complimentary? Okay. Complimentary gifts. And, and what, 
And which verse kind of, or which statement kind of points that out to you? Okay. Oh yeah, for the common good, sure. Yeah, that's good, good. So they're all, they're all designed to be used to help the body, right? Common good, comp complement each other, fill out, perfect. What else do you see there? Variety. Variety, okay. So there's, there's uh, that word variety. <coughs> so we're not sure what that means, but it's like, it's not just a market with, with uh, zucchini. You know, it's like there's a variety of things, a variety of gifts, variety of people, right? Okay. That's what I'm thinking too. Is the variety of people that are that have different that have different ministries. Like that's what right. So there are varieties of gifts and there are varieties of ministries. Right. Right. Because you, some people like you can teach. I probably can't teach. I can sing. I don't. You know. So. No. I can't sing, <laughs> except in the shower. And then my wife goes, either take a shower later in the day or don't sing so early in the morning. Um, look at verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. Is he talking about four different things? Or is he just talking about one thing four different ways? What do you think? And so you've got the spirit attached to something, right? You have Jesus attached to something, and you have the Father attached to something. You see the matching that's going on there? You have this, the gifts and the spirit, ministries and Jesus, outcomes or effects, and the Father. And then he says, now, and the word but really means, so let's do this. Okay. Now we have stuck in the Greek words and we have changed some of the wording to be more direct interpretations. And now you start to go, whoa. Well, I started to go, whoa. You, you can go, oh, whoa. it's getting early. Um, but look at this. Now, he says, now concerning, and that word isn't gifts, right? Translations say, not concerning spiritual gifts. The NASB says, not concerning spiritual, and then gifts is in italics, meaning they, they made, stuck that in there. But he says, look, now concerning, and the word pneumaticos means things of the spirit, or the structure of the spirit. We're going to look at that word today with as much time as we have. I don't want you to be uninformed and ignorant. So what he's saying is, you asked me about tongues and prophecy. Fine. Concerning the structure of the spirit world, the pneumaticos, and we'll get back to that word, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, here's the structure. One, there is a, and he uses this strange word that Plato invented called diaresis, which is basically an analytical division, assessment, and aggregation that's what diuresis means. Uh, think of the, we'll come back to this, but think of the story of the prodigal son. Okay, and the, and the father had to divide up his estate between two kids, one who was leaving and one who was staying. And it said, 
he did this analysis of his estate. It's the only other time this word is used in the New Testament. Okay? In other words, he looked at his whole estate and he said, I, I, I can't send cattle with the prodigal because he's not going to herd them into town. You know, and so I have to liquidate, but I have to keep. And, and so he sat down and did a very thorough analysis end to end of every one of his possessions of, of his complete estate. He assessed it, divided it, and did something with it. That's what that word means. So it says, there is a way of assessing, looking at, dividing the complete horizon to horizon list of spiritual gifts. There is a distinct division of grace gifts, charisma, but one Holy Spirit, right? And, and they go, ching and he says, now, there is an equal, there is an analysis you can do of the way ministry works and the same Jesus. So now you're going, okay, so Jesus is the head of the body and ministry is what we all do. Jesus, the brain of the body, is in charge of ministries in the body. And there's a way to assess and look at that to understand it. So Paul's saying, look, there's a way to look at this. How many of you were in the early service today? Remember Josh said that Paul went and spent three years figuring this out. This is, this is Paul. <laughs> this is when he comes back from Damascus going, this is what I figured out, guys, okay? There's a distinct division of ministries, but one Jesus. There's a, of empowered effects of energizings, but one Father, God causes what? All things to work together for good if you love him or call him. So somewhere behind the scenes, the Father is making stuff happen. And if, it, if he needs a big miracle to make it, he'll just grab Philip and stick him in a different place. Done with you. You can go back now. Poof, okay. Doesn't always, it's not always that crazy. But each of us in our lives can go, you know, when that happened, it was crazy. You know, when that, uh, when I met my wife, you know, I met my wife in Switzerland, a Nashville girl in Switzerland, the one day we crossed paths. You know, you just go, how could that, you know, how could that? Then the father's up there go, watch this, watch this. <laughs> I love it. I love to bless my children. See, and so that says there's empowered effects. And he says, now look, and the word here is day, which means on the other hand or whatever. He says, look, on the other hand, the thing you were concerned about, there is also... Um, on the other hand, each of you is given a clearly visible manifestation. Phanerosis, not charisma. You're given a clearly visible work of the Spirit, a, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One is given, blah, blah, blah. But the same Holy Spirit empowers these things with a diuresis distribution of the manifestations of the Spirit. So we have four things. We have charisma, gifts, we have diaconia, ministries, and Jesus, we have energema and the Father, and we have manifestations of the Spirit, which Paul says, on the other hand, in other words, he's kind of, he says, we got these three things. This is the primary structure. And on the other hand, these power tools, the things that you're all concerned about, they support these three things, right? And so when you think about that, and then you look at where Paul did his diuresis analysis, and, and we're going to look at that during this course, 
Paul laid out his detailed analysis in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. He laid out his horizon to horizon diuresis analysis, okay? So what else do you notice in there besides what I blabbed on about? Anything else? Yeah. But, for instance, he says brothers and sisters, which just means everyone. And then later on he says each individually. He's not talking about priests or the holy. Sure. He's literally talking about the whole of yeah. creation, essentially, the everyone. Every human. Which is an important thing that we can take for granted. You know, other denominations don't feel individually called to things. Or like each one is important. Right, right. He called us all to be priests, right? Oh, there's my water. He called us all to be, yeah, thank you. So that's, that's a good point. There's no, I'm going to stop writing over there because my handwriting's so bad. But, uh, but so he doesn't make a distinction, right? In other words, you can be an elder, you can be a day-old Christian, and this is for you. This, this, without whatever. Now, the more mature you are, probably the better you are at these things. You grow into those things, but you're not disqualified. You're not even disqualified if you know nothing about these things, right? And most of us don't know anything about these things. They don't happen because we know about them. They happen better when we know about them, right? See, if you know how to drive a stick shift car, um, it happens better if you're good at it. It will still maybe go. You might break it, but it will still go if you're not very good at it, especially parking on a hill. But, um, yeah. What else do you see about this? Verse 11 seems to also point out, like, the driving point. Who's doing this? You know, some might think it is them. It's like, oh, yeah. I get closer to God. To me, that's ushering this, but that verse clearly says it's all from the Father, it's all from yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. I like in a different place, Paul says, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you received it, why do you act as if you haven't? To the same Corinthians, right? It's like, oh, so those, those great, you know, in the, in the charismatic world, we get guys who are real prophetic and they stand up in front and they, they call out things. And, and I, have, I have watched them say, your name is Bob. No, no, he said, I mean, I can tell crazy stories, but he said, your name is Bob. Now, I don't know where you are, but your name is Bob. No, your name is Betty. That's what it was. Your name is Betty. Come on down. Okay, Betty, um, you're a, you work in the banking, and he just kept, this is John Wimber, he work in the banking industry, and, and finally, he said, Betty, um, you are sitting somewhere in the back left, I, I sense over here, and finally this woman gets up, and the guy sitting next to me goes, that's my sister-in-law, Betty. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> and she comes down, and you know, that idea of reading your mail, you know, just, just, I mean, I have seen it, it's happened through me in times where, you know, back when I was over at Belmont Church as an elder, and a guy would come up, and I, and I would lay my hand on and pray for him, and all of a sudden I saw something, and I said, you were abused, Stop it. You were abused by your gym teacher in the eighth grade. And he just went, <sighs> I said, I, I don't know that because I'm smart. In fact, I know that because I'm not smart. 
But I know that because God wanted you to know he's here and you can give that pain to him. And he, he did. He gave, the mem- he gave the pain, not changed the memory, just gave the pain within the memory. And, and next time I saw him, he said, it's gone. It's gone. The pain's gone. The stigma's gone. It happened to me, but it doesn't define me. See, that's what freedom break does, right? Uh, you know, that, that's what we do is, is that. And we, we let those manifestations just work, but we don't say, God said, God told. And all of that is immaturity trying to get attention to ourselves. All of these are maturity giving grace to the one who is empowering it. Giving thanks to God, giving thanks to the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, good points. Who else? Anybody else have any thoughts about this? Uh-huh. It's very, it, it, as we'll see as we go on with this course, it's incredibly unique to each person. You know, someone, uh, I, I've seen someone who God just used them for healing, for a stretch, but it was only a certain sickness. And they said, I, I'm like a plumber, I just do sinks. You know, I said, I don't know why. I wish I knew why, but I don't know why. So, um, yeah, wait. Boy, do I have stories. But anyway, um, what else do you see? Those, these are all great observations. Okay, let's, um, let's talk about the one word that Paul uses, pneumaticos. <coughs> so these are four different definitions that come out of various Thayer and blah, blah, various sources. And I want you to see the progression from relating to the realm of the spirit, which is broad, stated in a reference to things emanating from the spirit, relating to the human spirit, reference to one who is filled with the Holy Spirit and governed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, all of those things are contained under the umbrella of things of the spirit, structure of the spirit. In other words, it can be the whole realm of the spirit. It can be the presence of the spirit in me, and it's all pneumaticos. It's all something having to do with the spirit. Same Holy Spirit. It's not like a little Holy Spirit and big Holy Spirit, little sips of the Holy Spirit. And, okay, now, um, and the Holy Spirit is highly unpredictable. Let me just say that, okay? So, um, so the word pneumaticos is Paul's word to govern the whole Sunday school class that we're doing. This is all under the word pneumaticos. And I want to, to help us to understand how that word affects us as individuals. So I'm gonna take a bit of a detour and talk about the human makeup. Trust me, this is gonna be important as we ask ourselves, can I walk in pneumaticos? And if I struggle being led by the Spirit, why? And it typically has to do with this. So here's God. May God in peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body, in that order maybe, be kept without blame at the coming of our Lord. So if you think about the human makeup as 
spirit, soul, and body. Now, um, I have to say, because we have smart people in here, there, there are three views of, of the human body. There's what's called anthropological monism, which is I am one thing. I'm just one thing. Uh, you know, I'm just, this is me in a package. And, and that's true. And that, that has a, I'm a human, and that's right, anthropological. There's also what's called dichotomism, which says we're body and soul. When I die, I don't split into three. I don't split into five. I split my body falls and everything else goes, right? So, so you have out of body, okay. So you have that. Um, but Paul here, um, for the purposes of understanding how the spirit works, he has decided to split it into these three parts, spirit, soul, and body, right? So, um, so basically, we're born this way, and then when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into us. We're born anew, born of the Spirit. There, there's lots of ways of, of talking about this. But basically, what, what on the charismatic side, they like to say it this way, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. That's how they took I am, I am essentially a spirit being who's living in a body. The, the, the eternal part of me is spirit, or some people say it's the, the soul is, is the overlap of the spirit and the body. Okay? So there are different ways to, to think about it. Now I'm heading for something here. So let's talk about each of these. So the body, the, the, the voice of the body, um, it, it, what, it, what it contains is senses and drives, right? It, it's got your, your five senses and it's got hunger, sex, drive, those kinds of things. The soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The thinker, the decider, and the feeler. About it, they're like the primary colors of the soul. About everything that, that is in the soul is made up of some combination of those things. What do I think? What do I feel? What do I want? <coughs> and, so the, and so the thinker has input, the feeler has input, and the mind has to make decisions. You have to make decisions and left brain, right brain, you can get in all that kind of stuff. But the reality is it's, it's, you can think of it as made up of those three things. So the one we don't really understand very well is what is the spirit made of? And um, so the spirit is made up of conscience. That is my sense of right and wrong, my intuitive sense of right and wrong. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Intuition. Knowing things, I don't have any other way of knowing except God shown me those things. A, a lot of those have to do with, I feel conviction about this scripture suddenly came to me and I went, oh, you know, all of us have had those kinds of things where something is happening, we call it a woman's intuition, but it's, it, it is, and, and into, when, when you get down through the mind and you, you slip into the spirit, in, into the spirit, the, I've done a lot of study on, on mind-brain interface and all that. It, it gets a little crazy, back brain, front of brain, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is that there is a knowing that comes from God. And we will call that intuition. Maybe we should come up with a different word to discriminate, but intuition. And then there's communion. Communion is the, is the, the, the core of our being is communion with God, connection to God. The, the, the innermost part of us connects with God. And, and in our spirit, 
it, it, we don't want to violate our conscience. Our conscience, the whole world has a conscience which you can sear, you can harden, you can ignore, but we're born with a conscience. There's been lots of studies about people kind of knowing right and wrong without much social input even. And so, so these are the, the various parts of it. So here's an important question. <clears throat> Which of these three do you think tends to govern your life the most? Not just at dinner when you smell ribs, but which, which on a day-to-day -day basis you say, I live out of this, I'm an animal, right? I live out of what I think, what I'm, what I'm feeling, that's how I make decisions, or I live out of a sense of leading, guidance, revelation from my spirit. So, you know, when I put it that way, but he goes, oh, I should, I should have that. You know, I should, pick, I should pick that one. There's something wrong with me, right? <clears throat> but, and I'm not asking you to answer that question unless you'd like to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> but the question is, is which of those do you think mostly govern your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. Um, and as Christians, we, we catch hints of that again and again. But the reality is, is that in, in a lot of churches, <coughs> th this part is, is just sort of ignored. Not ignored as in we know it's there, but we don't want to say anything about it. It's, well, is it really important? I mean, you even saw Josh today, he's talking about body and soul, your soul your soul and, and your, your will and, and your, you know, and so we, we kind of break things up, but Paul broke things into three categories. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. And he said, would preserve you complete, your body, your soul, and your spirit. Any other names we give things fit into those three some way. The heart is that <clears throat> the heart of man sits right here. It is like a garden that sits right there. It's watered from underneath like the Garden of Eden. It's watered from the Spirit. It's rained on by junk that comes down this way. And you are what your heart is. And I, I, we could do a whole semester on that, but you are what your heart is. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. God judges the heart. The, watch over your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life, the, the gushings forth of life, okay? So when we think about this, we ask the question, how should I live? So here are two scriptures where Paul talks about three kinds of people. And he says, as brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as, there's that word again, pneumaticos people, because you are sarkikos, sarcophagus, body-driven people. You're infants in Christ. Since there is jealousy, strife among you, aren't you walking like mere men? Okay? So here Paul is saying, I want to treat you as a, pneumat as a spiritual who's led, constrained by, fellowship with, connected to the Spirit of God. But you act like animals. Now, if I didn't have that verse up there, and I, I meant not to have it up there, we would say, we're not Sarkikos people. Those people are, I mean, those are pagan. Those are, you know, we, and, and so Paul does this. He says, 
a natural, now here we go, psychicos, psychological, soul, mind, will, and emotions driven person. That middle category, right? Sarkikos is the body driven person. Psychikos is the soul driven person. Psychological, psyche. And here's what he says. The psychological person does not accept, okay, here we go. It's conviction time. Does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because why? They are spiritually appraised. But the one who is pneumaticos appraises all things. He, he praises everything. The, the body, the soul, and the spirit. He praises all things. And appraise means appraise. It means assigns value to. Okay? He assigns value to all things. But the one who is pneumaticos, yet he himself is, is rightly appraised by no one. In other words, <clears throat> the, the, the one who depends on their exegesis, their hermeneutical understanding, their deep knowledge of scripture, their ability to quote in the Greek and Hebrew, <clears throat> they just can't figure out the pneumaticos person. They, it's just like, None of these things are important to them. Jesus said this to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you search the scripture. Remember that verse? You search the scripture thinking in them you have eternal life, but you will not come to me that you may actually have eternal life. See? So, so when we think of ourselves and our motivations, this isn't meant to be damning. It's meant to be enlightening. Yeah, ma'am. Okay, so kind of going back to the whole body, soul, spirit thing. Uh -huh. So when you're looking at First um, Thessalonians five twenty three that you first brought up, there, yeah. Um, so which which Greek word are, is Paul using for soul and spirit? And like, is it clear that he's talking about yeah. a person's spirit versus the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I'm guessing that's a different. He word. is, and and if somebody's got Bible Hub and can go to First Thessalonians five twenty three and yank out there's words it, I think it's sark sark something for the body um, it, it is it is those three so spirit is that spirit is pneuma for sure soul I can't remember what the word is and, and so these, then these other verses throughout the Bible do is it using different terms sometimes using soul sometimes using spirit is it always using spirit I guess I'm just like yeah in my mind, is it confusing or, or is, is this a legitimate point to be making? Well, I guess I'm, yeah. just, I guess I'm just wondering because I had never thought of it that way. Uh -huh. I had never been taught, taught it that way. Yeah. Of, is there something that Paul's differentiating between soul and, and spirit? Um, aside from the Holy yes. Spirit, clearly, right? Um, uh, Jude does. He, he says to people, you're merely natural. What's the matter with you? Right? Um, that's a good question. I'll have to think through. I, I'm, verses are flipping through through, through my mind. Uh, in my study of this, uh, and this is like throwing down the trump card. That's not fair. But so I've studied this for years, and I've never found anything to contradict this understanding across Scripture. But I would have to go back and see. I don't think that all the words are spot on exactly the same. But it's hard. It, it, it's hard not to get the point that he's making here. I mean, he is. This is a in your face kind of Paul talking about 
Um, and it's there, he's talking to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians early on before he gets to 1 Corinthians 12, right? And he's, he's basically calling him out. <clears throat> um, and I, I guess the, the point that, that I'm making is that there is a way to begin trending toward opening your spirit, opening yourself to saying, God, I know you will protect me. I want to learn how to be more pneumaticos in my lifestyle. What does that look like? So um, let me keep going there. I think I can do it pretty easily in the time. And let's come back to that. But, but now you got me. I'm going to spend all afternoon. <laughs> I'm that guy. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's that is a huge uh, counselor question is where does the brain stop and the mind begin? Right. Because the brain is the meat and the mind is what the meat is doing. And is the soul inhabiting the machinery of the brain or are we just meat and everything is just part of of evolution? You know, and so uh, we're not going to go there. OK. Um, I think, I think there was a beautiful body and God breathed a, a uh, spirit into that body and he became a living soul. That's what it says about Adam and that's all of us, right? Okay, so let, let's talk about um, the three screens that we all can pay attention to. So the first screen that, uh, and we, we look in our soul. Our soul is the one that pays attention. The first screen is the senses and drives that come from the body, right? It, you, you catch a teenage boy uh, at 14 when the hormones are raging and that senses and drives is screaming loud into those boys. They're like, ah, you know, like, why, what do I do? I hated girls till last month. You know, and it's kind of all that thing, okay? So, senses, so there's a screen there. <clears throat> the soul has a screen of memory and analysis. In our souls, I can say, what was your favorite Christmas? You, you'll go back, you, you, some of you will have to close your eyes and go, oh, remember, yeah, and see, you're seeing it. You're seeing, uh, you're looking on that screen. I could say, um, you know, what's, what's two times 10 times 10 divided by two? And some of you know the answer right now, and some of you are going, and you gotta close your eyes because you're, you're doing math, and some of you would give up because it's math. But, so all of that takes place here on this screen. And it's kind of a different, we think of them as screens. In, in Freedom Prayer, this has been really helpful to us to get people to think about their issues going on. So then we've got another screen that's in the spirit uh, uh, that comes into the soul and it's imagination and impression. And so I can say to you, think of, Go to Mount Everest. Ready? Go to Mount Everest. Okay, now go to the moon. All right, let's, let's just try this, okay? Close your eyes for just a second. I want you to think of your favorite drink on a hot summer day, what your favorite drink is. I want you to think about the glass that it's in, what it looks like, what's going on. Okay. Just a couple of you describe your favorite drink. You can open your eyes now. What did you see? What did you see? Um, 
it can be a beer. This isn't that kind of place, okay? Um, this ad note is very sad. It was not very pretty looking. Okay. Um, a sparkling water, that's pretty yeah. much out of a can. But still, yeah, but still. Was there like was there like sweat going down the can? Was it cold? Yeah, see, perfect. See that? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See. Yeah. So see, we can we can do that, right? So so all of you could do that. You can you can imagine anything that you want. God uses that screen to bring impressions to us. Okay, because He lives here. And he comes up, and the very bottom of our soul is a place where imagination takes place. <clears throat> and he can bring impressions on that same screen. And when we become sensitized to the idea that God can use anything to talk to us, but the most versatile, spur-of-the-moment, instantaneous, clear thing is a clear connection with God, in fact... <clears throat> Here's Jesus. Because now, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Your drink is fine. Uh, one who believes, as scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Okay? When you come to him and drink, out of your innermost being, out of your spirit, that's another synonym for spirit, will, he said this in reference to the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when you think about this, you have this Spirit that flows out of me into my soul and hopefully in good ways out into the world. And Jesus said, this river will flow out of you. And if you can learn to honor the flow of that river, then you will gain a connection, a visual, sometimes it's words, it's colors, it's all different sorts of things, different, everybody's different. So let's just close by asking this question. How do I learn to become more of a pneumaticos person and honor the flow that comes out of this? Step one. Make a decision that you want that to happen in your life. Um, God will never, ever, ever violate your free will. You can put up a wall and keep him out, and he will not turn you into a robot to beat that wall down. He will find lots of ways to deteriorate that wall. <laughs> he will find ways where you want to climb out of that wall and blow it up yourself, but he will not force you to connect with him and love him. But you can make a decision that says, um, I want to see that the proper place is the spirit is the master the soul is the steward and the body is the slave okay I buffet my body and make it my slave right but the 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 in some ways naive spirit the childlike spirit on the inside is the master but it can do nothing without the steward 
carrying out what the Spirit wants. And so our job is to ensure that we are sanctified, set us apart, our soul is sanctified to be available to the Spirit that flows out of us. That's what it means to be a pneumaticos person. You are honoring the flow of the Spirit. Two, begin to sense and distinguish the three screens and draw near to God and ask Him, is there, and these are good open-ended questions. Um, you're in a situation, you're trying to make a decision, you're ready to meet a person, you're thinking about your day, you're sitting in a meeting, and somewhere in the back of your head, you say, God, Jesus, they don't care, whoever you like the best, um, um, is there anything you want to show me? See, you don't ask factual questions because God can give factual answers, but we can't hear them easily. But you ask open-ended, would it be okay if, these are my two favorite questions, I'll be sitting in a business meeting, and I'll say, Father, is there anything you want to show me about this meeting? My career, I became one of the top three in the world in, in my field, and every single move came about because of cheating, because of the Father revealing something in a meeting that there's no way I could know. I could tell you crazy stories. And I just, it's like, I'm a dad. If I could cheat for my kids to make them successful, you think I wouldn't? <laughs> of course I would, right? And God's the best dad ever. Okay, so ask questions like that and look for the screen of impression. Number three, begin, and all of this is humbly and quietly, to learn the difference between imagination and impression. Because Satan will go, okay, I'm just going to cause you to make up stuff. And you just have to say, my humility will keep that from happening because I'm never gonna announce, God told me. That is a huge mistake in the charismatic movement. Well, God told me, well, God told me. God told me you, you should marry that guy. And you just go, no dates, mates, or babies. You will never, don't ever bring up any of this stuff. You know, just stay away from all that, right? So very, never, ever, ever, ever say God told me. It's between you and God and scripture is the test. If it's true and you obey God, it will happen. It will bring about the fruit. You don't have to announce the fruit on the apple tree for the fruit to grow. It grows of itself in the same way with God. And lastly, uh, almost lastly, learn to read, here's a way to help you, learn to read through scripture very, very slowly, like sucking candy. Psalms are great, Proverbs are great. Just read it very slowly and say, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, is there anything you wanna show me about this? Crazy revolution, revelation starts to happen. Right? The Word and the Spirit become best friends, and the Spirit begins to interpret the Word to you. Not so you come up with a new denomination, but so you find ways to become Christ-like. And Christ-like doesn't just mean good, it also means powerful. It means power, love, and a sound mind. And the last thing before you take your picture, <clears throat> stay alert during the day. Be ready to humbly obey. Uh, when we talk about the Father, we'll talk more about that. But just stay alert. Just in, in all that you're doing, just always have one ear kind of listening for God. Just um, so, some of us, and we're going to talk about this later, but some of us, the Father's scary. You know, it's like, he's like Abe Lincoln sitting, you know, you know he's, I know he's good, but he's stone-faced. Okay, so, um, all right, any last questions? Yep, so they, they, 
imagination is I know it's driven by me. It's, it's me imagining. Impression is there's a sense of surprise, a sense of unusualness, a sense of goodness, a sense of wisdom beyond my wisdom, it, right? It, it, it's it's kind of got, um, what we used to call it? It's got sauce on it. That's how we used to say it. It's like, that's got sauce on it. You know, that, that was kind of our joke, me and my two roommates. So I'd say, that has sauce on it. Okay, we should do that, you know, back in college. Um, yeah, great question. Really good question. God's not human and his first language is in English. If we're okay with that, he can, he can give us 17 paragraphs in a nanosecond of just sudden revelation and it just keeps, it just keeps spinning out. It just keeps going. And he wants to. He wants to do that. He wants us to connect with him. And it, it's scary to connect with the greatest being in and out of the universe who created the universe like that. You know, a hundred trillion stars. Oh, let there be light. Yeah. What's the biggest obstacle to that? I'm sorry, speak up. What's the biggest obstacle to that? Ignorance, fear, desire for other things are the three biggies. I don't know about it. That one's gone now. Fear, I, I, I don't think God loves me. I don't think there, there's a, a sense of self-loathing of, of whatever. Freedom prayer takes care of that. Desire for other things, God just lets you go until you just burn out, until they don't work, until you fail, until something bad happens. He let the prodigal go. He could have stopped him. You're staying here. You're not going anywhere. Nope. The only way to get his love is to give him freedom. And if he wants to come back, he'll come back without bounds, right? Same with us. Really good questions. I hope this has been worthwhile to you. This has been a, a fast tour du jour of uh, how we operate. But um, So next week, we're going to dive into charisma gifting. Okay, And remember, I said, the definition of spiritual gifts is not the things in not tongues, prophecy, blah, blah, blah. While those are called charisma in a much larger use of the word, when Paul uses a word with exactitude and Peter uses it with exactitude, he's always talking about seven things. And we're going to get into that and the principles behind it next week. The week after, we're going to apply it. I'm going to give you the gift wheel and poof, you'll know who you are. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you.